I'm Lawan and this is Tom. Hello. Today we'll be talking about paediatric asthma basics. As always, there's a disclaimer that this content's developed by Lawan and I. It's not reflective of material taught by the medical school or medical practitioner's advice. And for today's recording, we've used the resource of the asthma handbook. Asthma is a topic that is regularly assessed in third year. It is part of the paediatric PBLs. In this recording, we hope to keep it as basic and straightforward as possible. Yes, I think asthma is something that we see a lot of and is something that came up in our OSCEs last year. Um, our particular station was beginning an asthma management plan for a paediatric patient and required you to know drug doses and how to advise a parent. As you know, there is a lot of different asthma drugs and even more asthma puffers, so it pays to be familiar. So I think before we jump into the nitty-gritty, let's start with a working definition of asthma. So asthma is a chronic lung disease. It can be controlled and reversed, but never cured. Some people talk about you being able to grow out of asthma. This is not strictly true, and people may still have an asthma attack at any time in their life. We will remember that asthma is an obstructive lung disease. And the pathophysiology, we will remember that it involves inflammation and hyper-responsiveness of the airways. Common symptoms include wheeze, shortness of breath, cough, and chest tightness. So we thought to keep it interesting, we'll begin with an asthma case. You are the GP at a suburban medical practice. James, a four-year-old boy, has come in with his mother. His mother states she has been noticing that James coughs a lot at night and does not seem to get good sleep. She says, he always seems to have a cold and a runny nose, and the most recent was two weeks earlier. She thinks he has not gotten over that yet. So this is a pretty common presentation in GP practices, the chronic post-viral cough. And I suppose the question in the back of the GP's mind is what diagnosis do we need to consider and what further information do we need? So because this podcast is about asthma, it's quite easy to get blinkered about what we think the potential diagnosis might be. What other questions would you like to ask? Developing a differential diagnosis would be a good start. So you would do so by screening other symptoms. Yes, so I think besides asthma, we need to think about could this be a continuation of an upper respiratory tract infection? Perhaps it's even progressed to a lower respiratory tract infection. Could this be asthma? Or could this be something atypical such as reflux or post-nasal drip causing a chronic cough. So as well as symptoms, we would like to look for personal or family history of atopy. So this includes things such as asthma, allergic rhinitis or eczema. Yes, and I think it would be good to look at other risk factors such as family contacts who might smoke, recent or past respiratory tract infections, particularly if the child's been hospitalised previous diagnosis and medications given, so have they been given a puffer before or prednisolone, and always good to ask for someone who's got a respiratory tract infection, has there been any recent travel? And from an infectious disease perspective, it is always good to trace contacts, so you may be able to identify the pathogen. And then we would move on to physical examination, and this would start off with your general inspection to determine whether the child looks sick or not, vital signs to screen for current fever or to look for serious infection. And then we will move on to a focused respiratory exam. This includes assessing their respiratory effort. This may include head bopping, 
nasoflaring, tracheal tug, subcostal recession and usage of accessory muscles. Following this, you would perform a standard physical examination of the chest as you would with any other respiratory patient. Remembering in children that it is important to look at the ears, nose, throat and assess the lymph nodes. In James's case, further information reveals both parents smoke and James has had eczema since six months of age. On examination, James is afebrile and looks well. You do notice he has a nasty cough as well as a bit of a runny nose. There is no excessive inspiratory effort and listening to his lungs, there is a polyphonic wheeze noted. As you may expect from the title of this recording, this sounds consistent with asthma. But diagnosis of children with asthma is particularly difficult. Why is this so? There are a number of reasons why it is difficult to diagnose asthma in children aged 0 to 5. There is no gold standard test or standardised criteria for diagnosis. And a large part of this reason is because spirometry is difficult to perform in this age group. So in the case of James, we have a history and physical examination which is suggestive of asthma. However, we're unable to perform spirometry on him. The solution to this is to begin a trial of treatment. If there is a clear response to bronchodilator treatment, asthma is the diagnosis. It is important to consider alternate diagnosis that we talked about previously, although in this case would not be required. It is important to remember that in children under two years old that bronchiolitis may seem very similar in presentation given that it also causes a wheeze. However, bronchodilators are often not helpful in this condition. So Luan, we're thinking about starting some treatment for James. What would you like to consider? In James's case, we would want to consider a preventer and a reliever. So the most common reliever we should know is a beta-2 agonist, commonly referred to as Ventolin or Salbutamol. And the main preventers include inhaled corticosteroids, oral prednisolone or leukotriene receptor antagonists. In a four-year-old child, obviously we would like to avoid using an oral corticosteroid unless symptomatology was severe. A common regime for someone like James will include fluticasone as a preventer and salbutamol as a reliever. What has been tested in the past in examinations has been your instructions to the parent on how to use these medications. So in James's age group we would routinely use a mask as well as a spacer. This ensures the optimal amount of medication reaches its target, the lungs. Providing clear instructions to James' parents and James about how to use the face mask and spacer is important. So there are several different ways that you may instruct someone the multiple breath method or the single deep breath method. We will go through the multiple breath method as this may be easier for pediatrics. So you would begin by teaching them how to assemble a spacer. This includes removing the inhaler cap, checking the dose counter on the device if they have one, preparing the inhaler by holding it upright and shaking well. Next you would insert the inhaler upright into the spacer. You would then either form a good seal with the mask or with the mouth around the mouthpiece. Once a good seal is established, press down once on the canister and then breathe in three to four tidal breaths. I prefer to not give the parents the option and just say four tidal breaths as this makes it less complicated. You would then remove the spacer from the mouth and repeat for the desired amount of doses. The inhaler technique is similar for salbutamol and fluticasone. However, with fluticasone, you'd want to instruct the child to wash their mouth out afterwards to avoid oral thrush. You'd also want to provide good washing 
instructions for the devices, as well as providing this information on an asthma action plan. As with starting all new medications, we would like to see the desired effect. We would like to review James in one week. Depending on ongoing symptoms and the pattern they fit, this will change your future management. We will now talk a little bit about the different asthma patterns. The most mildest forms of asthma patterns include infrequent intermittent asthma and frequent intermittent asthma. There are clear definitions in the asthma handbook. The purpose of these definitions is to determine whether ongoing preventer treatment is needed. It is important that we have reliever treatment available for all people who have been diagnosed with asthma. People who have asthma attacks infrequently or frequently but only intermittently, which is defined as flare-ups more than once every six weeks on average but no symptoms between, may only need treatment based on these individual episodes. People with persistent asthma are then medicated based on their control. Persistent asthma is categorised as mild, moderate or severe. Severe persistent asthma has continual daytime symptoms with frequent nighttime symptoms. Moderate has daytime symptoms daily and nighttime symptoms more than once per week. Mild has daytime symptoms more than once per week but not every day and nighttime symptoms more than twice per month but not every week. These definitions are sometimes confusing and really what we're interested in is the control. Good control is what we aim for for all asthma patients. This is defined as daytime symptoms two days or less a week with no limitations to activities, no nighttime symptoms. If the control was good, we would leave the management the same or consider reducing the medications. People with daytime symptoms more than two days per week who have limitation of activities or having nighttime symptoms have partial control or poor control depending on how frequent these occur. This would lead to your recommendations of increasing medications to achieve good control. If good control was not achieved with inhaled corticosteroids and subutamol, we could try leukotriene antagonist or we could try oral corticosteroids. So James returns to your office a week later as requested. He appears well and his wheeze is gone. He's been using the medications as requested. What would you like to do now? You would probably continue the medication as is with a review in two to three weeks' time to step down the medication. James' parents are very thankful for your advice and would like to know how would you manage James if he was not responding to his medications. Managing asthma in the emergency setting is the second part which we will discuss today and is often included in the asthma action plan that you will write for patients. Children below the age of six can have up to six puffs of salbutamol, whereas adults can have up to 12. So the medication the parents will have on hand in the emergency setting will be salbutamol, the reliever. The dose of salbutamol is 100 microgram per puff, and in the emergency setting we would give six puffs via spacer and mask. Remembering this medication is short-acting and may be repeated as needed. The asthma action plan recommends repeating the dose every 20 minutes for the first hour or sooner. Some protocols recommend giving four puffs every four minutes and on the third round calling for help. If the child appears extremely unwell or is having difficulty breathing after the second or third cycles, call an ambulance immediately. In the hospital, we'll continue to use subutamol and we have the option of using a nebulizer if we wish. Additional medications can also be added, such as ipratropium bromide, which is a SAMA, a short-acting muscarinic antagonist. 
In James's age group, we would consider four puffs of ipratropium bromide via spacer and mask or add 250 microgram via a nebulizer. It is more important to remember the dosages of salbutamol than ipratropium. In the severe cases where the patient is not improving or there is a history of infection, you may want to consider starting systemic oral corticosteroids within the first hour. There are different forms of corticosteroids depending on the route. The common used in paediatrics is Redipred, which is oral prednisolone. The asthma handbook recommends giving 2 milligrams per kilogram orally to a maximum of 50 milligrams on day one and then 1 milligrams per kilograms on days two and three and then ceasing. The other medication used in the severe non-responsive asthmatic patient in the emergency setting would be to add in magnesium sulfate IV. In severe cases it would be important to seek further help in the severe cases with the view to move to ICU or transfer to high level care. So in review, an asthma action plan and the development of one has been a previous OSCE station. It is required once a child is diagnosed with asthma and is important for parents to know to keep one at school, daycare, home and a copy will always be available at the GP. A copy of the current asthma action plan is available on nationalasthma.org.au. Before finishing your consult with James's parents, we should educate them on potential triggers for James's asthma. In James's case, this would be his parents' cigarette smoke. But in atopic individuals might include pet allergens, dust mites, moulds and cold dry air, certain medications and smoke. It is important to remember that some children have their asthma triggered by exercise. Other areas that have been examined in the past with regards to asthma has been the adverse effects of asthma medication. I think for even non-paediatric patients it's nice to know what a salbutamol overdose looks like and this is the tachycardia tremor and in extremely high doses can cause hypokalemia. Corticosteroids are more commonly inquired about in regard to their side effect profile. This may include thinning of skin, acne, easy bruising, an increase in appetite leading to weight gain, immune suppression and growth restriction. Although in inhaled corticosteroids this is less likely, it has been shown that growth restriction is less than one centimetre and the benefits outweigh the risks. And as Tom said earlier, the most important side effect for inhaled corticosteroids is oral thrush from not washing the mouth out. I think that asthma is one of those topics which can look easy from a distance but as you become more involved and start getting to the specifics can become a little overwhelming. Like any tool that you may not have used before, the asthma action plan is something that if you aren't familiar with can trip you up on the day. So it's worthwhile practicing writing these out during the year. The asthma handbook is given to all third years and there is a copy available online. It is important for you to review this in your own time and become familiar with it before exams. Thanks again for listening and we hope this has been helpful for you.